It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Want more Gators Breakdown? Join Gators Breakdown Plus. Starting at $3 a month, get access to unique episodes, plus a blog, chat room, giveaways, shoutouts, and more. Gators Breakdown Plus is furthering the interaction with fans and listeners like you. Head to gatorsbreakdown.supportingcast.fm to join Gators Breakdown Plus today. Gators Breakdown, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter, at GatorDave underscore SEC. Joining me right here on this Tuesday night, the day after the season finale national championship game, where, uh, of course, the ugly Georgia Bulldogs hoisting another national championship trophy. Joining me. As we kind of wrap up the season, get into an early look of these 2023 Gators as co-host Will Miles. You can find him on Twitter at WillMilesSEC and his site, readandreaction.com. Man, Will, we had to to watch that again last night. Back-to-back, that team in red and black winning another national championship. You know, we had all those 1980 jokes for so long, but uh, now they go back-to-back and, you know, just another dagger uh, in the – uh, in the hearts of Gator Nation. Yeah, well, it's not going to be too long before 2008 is the joke if things don't turn around. <laughs> but, uh, you know, look, I mean, Georgia's given us the blueprint. I mean, yep. Kirby Smart came in there. Alabama was the big behemoth in the SEC. Smart's figured out a way to at least, you know, multiple championships around Nick Saban. That's something nobody else has been able to do so far. And the way he's done it is the way that Saban did it, building through high school recruiting, elite high school recruiting. And to be honest, I mean, he hasn't had to find an elite quarterback yet. And that's the scary part is if they end up finding a guy who's an elite quarterback, then this program has another step to take. Stetson Bent's a very, very good player. Um, And I don't know that he gets his due, and I probably haven't given him his due over the last couple of years. But last year he turned a corner, and this year he was a little bit less efficient, but still a good player. And that Georgia offense was just dynamic last night. And, you know, at at some point you just got to tip your cap to him and say, look, it's time to go beat him. And there are ways to go beat them. They've laid out the blueprint, and hopefully Napier and company can follow that blueprint. Yeah, plenty to get into on this episode of Gators Breakdown. As I said, uh, we'll kind of you know take a look at that at, at that in in the season here. Of course, the way too early preseason twenty top twenty fives out. So of course, Florida's nowhere to be found there. But we'll take a look at uh, kind of the Gators schedule in in in, in that regard of the teams Florida will face and and, and the thoughts of those teams. But also uh, right before we come live here, big big offensive line transfer pickup for the Gators. Micah Mazuka, 
offensive lineman from Baylor, one of my top targets there in the, in the transfer portal, visited Florida this past weekend, was in a battle when Nebraska and Auburn, Florida, ends up on top for the big time just need. Uh, and, and, and of course, with the transfers going out of Florida's program along the offensive line, uh, getting somebody with this kind of experience that we'll get into, uh, big, uh, big get. Uh, for Billy Napier and company uh, for this offense. So that too. And of course, I know we will not ignore it. I know I've been crazy busy today uh, knowing we have an episode here on Gators Breakdown. I know all the Jaden Rashad I talk out there on social media, all message boards, <laughs> Gators Breakdown Plus. I've uh, been out there all day long. We'll get into that as well right here Um uh, on Gators Breakdown. Well, uh, you know what? Let's just start there. Uh, I know a lot of people are going to want to get into it, and it probably – you and I were kind of talking to this episode beforehand, and as we look forward to 23, well, Jaden Rashad is a big part of that, <laughs> and, you, and you brought that up where uh, you know there's a couple ways to, to, to look at that. So first of all, of course, he is not enrolled at Florida yet. You know, it's all the early enrollees on campus right now, uh, but Jaden Rashad uh, uh, in Gainesville, not enrolled, and of course, the uh, questions of why are, are coming up there, and I'm not going to hide and beat behind the bush here. It is a whole NIL deal uh, that's going on out, out there. There's a lot of information uh, flying out there right now. Uh, all I'll say right there, or all I'll say about it right now, there's just so much. Uh, I want to nail down some things before we go all the way. Uh, the, the, this this type of, I think, topic will with with, uh, with the sensitivity of who it is and the player and, and the NIL that's going on with it, whether it be the player, the family, agents, lawyers, all that stuff involved. Well, it's not right right now, and it's got to get figured out. If Jaden Rashad is going to be uh, in this class, going to enroll uh, in Florida this week, I know there's been talk of you know grades and all that. It's not that, or uh, admissions uh, and all that. Now, this is from everything I know, from everything I can put together, from everything I've been told. Purely NIL, it's got to get figured out. Hopefully, it's assuming. I mean, we'll figure out this week. We'll know in the next couple of days, few days or so, uh, with this whole Jaden Rashad deal. Uh, but it's got to get figured out, Will. Yeah. Well, I mean, so this is the danger when you bring in a recruit, a high level recruit, your best recruit. He's the highest rated recruit in this particular class from the state of California. Right. We've talked about all off season long, all season long, that Napier needed to needed to build a wall there in Florida and really a circle around Gainesville and recruit there. And he decided to go outside. The staff decided to go outside. And that's one of the risks you take when you bring in someone from outside of the state. And to be honest, we've got the same I'm going to have the same concerns with DJ Lagway until he's on campus next year with somebody who's coming in from Texas. And, you know, you Florida can't afford to lose its top recruit in this particular class. It certainly can't afford to lose a quarterback. Um, you know, Rashada is not a sure thing. I think when you look at his film, you can see that there's development that needs to take place. I think if we expect him to be a major component of a winning season in 2023, that's probably misguided. But I do think he's a big part of the recruiting wins that Napier has had, right? Rashada being that first domino, Lagway being the second, being able to stack those quarterbacks back to back. Give, you know, honestly, that's the thing that gives you confidence when you look at the recruiting classes, because as of right now, the recruiting classes are not to the level of some of the other elite SEC teams. His transition class last year wasn't, and his bump class this year so far isn't. And so, you know, this is a big deal. It's a big deal to have a quarterback who, who, you know, he just he needs to get on camp. The job needs to get done. 
And that's sort of been the story for Florida all the way through this. And, you know, whether it's something else or whether it is an IL, I don't really care. At the end of the day, everyone's dealing with these exact same issues that Florida's dealing with. And everyone else seems to have been able, or at least as far as I'm aware, all the other elite recruits seem to have been able to matriculate to their particular campuses. And the fact that Florida's having issues with it is a sign and a, ba- and a bad one in terms of their ability to procure talent. Talent. And Napier said from the very start, this is a talent acquisition business. He understands this is a talent acquisition business. The organization right now is struggling with talent acquisition. That's a problem. And we saw what happens when you don't struggle with talent acquisition last night against TCU. And so the, the, the dichotomy of those two things or the juxtaposition of those two things side by side is concerning. Yep, so NIL deal going wrong. That's about the extent of it right now. Once more details come in, uh, more solidified uh, details come in, uh, you know, we'll be uh, hopefully sure, sure, sure to share it. Uh, we'll see what's put out there uh, as far as all this goes. But it uh, could be pretty sensitive subject uh, coming up uh, <laughs> from both sides uh, of the whole Jaden Rashada deal. So, yeah, it could change the outlook for 2023 in some ways, as, as we'll, we'll probably bring up here. Uh, and, and as we look forward to this 2023 uh, season just a bit as the 2022 season comes to a close. But before we get to all that, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button. If you're joining us live right here on Gators Breakdown, helps a lot uh, in the support of Gators Breakdown. Leave a comment. Your support really, really helps Gators Breakdown grow. And of course, Gators Breakdown Plus conversation is ongoing there. Uh, had a chat this past weekend, put that up as an episode uh, of course, in this chatting all day, every day in that Discord server, lots going on <laughs> right now. Uh, a big topic right now, of course, all the Jaden Rashada talk and news and uh, the recent commitment of Micah Mazuka. All right, Will, so let's get into it. Georgia wins another national championship. Monday night gets TCU not even close. I mean, not even a ball game uh, from the get-go. You and I, we, we, we kind of gave our predictions to each other, and it was in blowout fashion and still nowhere near <laughs> the final score of what ended up happening with Georgia and TCU. We didn't think it would be much of a game. It was not from the get-go. That game was over with by the first quarter. Uh, and, hey, look, it, it, it does. It, it sends a sign of just how far uh, Florida is away uh, for, 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 from a team like that. And, well, I mean uh, – is there, is there something wrong with college football if we get a game like that uh, as a national championship? I know a lot of us assume that the Georgia-Ohio State game was the de facto national championship. Now, you know, if Michigan can go out there and play their best game of football, yeah, maybe, well, we know they could beat Ohio State. They had done that. They were, they were not beating Georgia. I think if they had played Georgia again, it looked like last year's Orange Bowl, and, <laughs> and Georgia puts it on Michigan again. Uh, but, you know, if they played their best versus Ohio State, they can certainly be that. But, you know, it was Ohio State playing – near one of their best games uh, that that it, it would take that uh, to beat Georgia. It almost happened in some ways should have happened. Thanks a lot, Ohio state. You kind of ruined this one for us. Uh, but in the end, you know, is it, was, was it good for college football to have a 65 to seven blowout in the national championship game? I mean, I, so I think this is actually where, where, the committee starts to get a little bit goofy and what's going to happen is when we expand out to 12, we're going to get a lot of these. Yeah. Right. And I think Clay Travis tweeted today that he's expecting in the first five years of the playoff that the final four is going to be four sec teams, (laughs) which will be interesting when everybody goes nuts. But the reality is, is that the sec has 
just about everybody other than Vanderbilt in the top 25 of the recruiting rankings. And then you look at a conference like the Big 12, they've got Oklahoma, Texas, and that's it in the top 25 of the recruiting rankings. And TCU's down like the 30s. And, and, and so the ability to get lucky in that conference or the ability to have a good quarterback like Max Dugan or the ability to sort of catch lightning in a bottle is possible when you're a team from the Big 12. It's possible when you're a team from the Pac-12. It's maybe even possible when you're a team in the ACC. I don't think it's possible in the Big 10. I don't think it's possible anymore in the Big 10, at least. And I don't think it's possible in the SEC. And the SEC has become even more difficult to do that now that you've got those two monsters up at the top. And look, LSU with Brian Kelly isn't going away either. So, you know, and Hugh Freeze at at Auburn is going to raise the profile there. I, I think the SEC is only getting more difficult. Is it good for college football? I don't think the the result last night is good for college football, at least not from a viewership perspective. But I think the the TCU Michigan game that we got yeah. on New Year's Eve, along with the Georgia Ohio State game, were great for college football. The question is, how do you get more of that? And it is interesting. I mean, I, a couple of weeks ago, I wrote an article that every single college, so it's now nine. There, we've had nine college football playoffs, and they've all been won by teams that are in the top five average player ranking for recruiting from 2014 until 2022. So every single championship's been won by those top five. But, you know, you you got a great game between Michigan and TCU because neither one of those teams was in the top five. And TCU has the ability to play with those teams. TCU would not have had the ability to play with Ohio Mm -hmm. State. TCU would not have the ability to play with Alabama. TCU would not have had the ability to play with with Georgia. And and we saw that, right? Look, I think the other thing is is that Georgia – was a separate beast this year. There were a couple of times where they were disinterested against Missouri and against Kentucky, but when they really wanted to put the pedal down, I mean, geez, they just completely obliterated Oregon to start the year. It's a, yeah. it's a really good team there in Athens. And whether they're elite, whether they're like, you know, a transcendent team or anything like that, I'm not ready to say that. But, you know, look, dynasties are good for college football. Alabama being good is good for college football. Georgia being good is good for college football. It's not good for Gator fans, but it's good for college football. Florida being good is good for college football. Even I'd say Nebraska and Oklahoma and Ohio State and all those teams being good is good for college football. Nobody follow, there are The people who go to TCU follow TCU, but nobody actually follows TCU football yeah. who looks like grows up. There are all sorts of people in the state of Florida who didn't go to the University of Florida who follow Florida football. And, you know, the ones who, who say they don't are now UCF fans or something. But you know, the reality <laughs> is that it's always been about the Blue Bloods. And there's a reason why there's Blue Bloods. And it sort of shifts around a little bit, right? Hurricanes. The Hurricanes were big for a really long time. Notre Dame has always been really big. You know, but, again, you're, you're not, college football has never, like, risen and fallen on the, on the shoulders of Northwestern. Yeah. And so I think that's sort of the way college football is. And the question is going to be, are we going to consolidate that? And, you know, over the next four or five years, I kind of expect it to sort of split into two conferences where you've got the ACC, the Big Ten, and the SEC all kind of coming together with, you know, sort of picking and choosing from the Big 12 and the Pac-12 and saying, this is going to be our two, our AFC and our NFC, and we're going to go. So we're going to get these kinds of games more often, and, hey, that might actually end up being good for college football. So in some ways, this might be good for college football because it convinced us <laughs> that we should have more competitive games <laughs> yeah. and consolidate. Um, given what's going on. But, you know, look, I, I don't think it's a great thing that all the talent goes to one place, but I don't think that's a unique thing to now. It's just, it's unique that Florida is struggling to get into that space. Like, even, even under Ron's look, the problem wasn't that Florida wasn't bringing in talent. 
even under Will Muschamp, the problem wasn't that Florida wasn't bringing in talent. And then you look at the Jim McElwain errors and the Dan Mullen errors, and you could point to them and say, these guys aren't emphasizing recruiting. The reason it feels sort of, oh my God, we're a little bit unstable is because Napier came in talking about recruiting and you're still not getting to that level with, with, with Napier at this point. And that's why I look at it and go, like for a Florida fan, I can see why you would be pensive, but for college football, this is just sort of, you know, (laughs) sort of standard business procedure. Yeah, absolutely. I was, you read my mind. I was thinking about that today. Yeah. As a Gator fan, it it hurts, you know, and then overall, yeah, it doesn't really, really change. And look, we wouldn't care if it was Florida blowing out TCU 65 to seven and asking if it was good for college football. Well, we wouldn't be here tonight because we'd still be recovering, (laughs) but, but yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's the yeah, I've, I've always looked at it that way too. You know, when I asked that question, is this good for college football or whatever? I'm like, well, if I was a Gator fan, would I really care? No, I, no, I wouldn't. I'd be, I'd be happy it was my, our team hoisting that trophy. And, and the thing for Georgia, Will, I mean, it was okay, they lose all these players on defense, they lose their defensive coordinator, Dan Lanning, and leaves, and they, they just go in and, and, and repeat again. Uh, you know, not this crazy offense. I mean, they had this, you know, tight end galore, but you know, receivers came, did, did come along. Uh, throughout the year, a steady run game. Um, and that, you know, they, you're not going to look at that offense and say, okay, 2019 LSU and make that comparison. You're just not. And you're probably not going to look at this defense and compare it to last year's Georgia defense. But, hey, look, they found a way anyway, and that's what happens when you are putting number one, two, three in classes back-to-back-to-back. To back to back. You can uh, sustain it. And, look, i completely surprised. You know, if we're looking at Georgia hoisting the national championship trophy, I thought it was going to be Alabama. I mean, we, when we come into this season – and I thought this was going to be one of Nick Saban's best teams ever uh, and, and what he was coming into this season with. And, you know, losing to Georgia last year, I thought it would be kind of the motivation they would need uh, to kind of bounce back. But Georgia found the motivation of, uh, of being able to go back to back, and that was their motivation. And all the new faces, yeah, maybe they lost those guys last year, and it's tough to go back to back because of maybe some complacency uh, and – um, you know, just being satisfied with winning their, their first title since 1980. But they had so many new faces where, you know, those guys wanted to go out there and prove themselves uh, as new faces, new players for the Bulldogs. And, hey, look, it, it paid off for them again. Uh, you know, all the recruiting, all the new faces. It didn't matter if they were new faces. Uh, there was the ones uh, sitting there uh, hoisting the trophy there at, at the end. So, yeah, you know, if we kind of go back and look through the season – I was on the I was on the Alabama train <laughs> to, to to start the season, uh, but you know they don't even make the playoff, uh, and it is our our rivals that uh, hoisting it again. It stinks. It stinks because we're, we're just it's not even close. Like Florida's not even close to Georgia right now, and I think that that's kind of where you know, a lot of the dagger goes. You know we haven't had you know, since Florida's lost to Vanderbilt, there hasn't been a whole lot of good news, whether it be on the field. Whether it be off the field, you got the big commitment from Lagway, uh, and you know that's been about you know the the top of the good news, and had some here sprinkled here or there, but you know the trend of since that loss to Vanderbilt, and then seeing all your rivals go on and have some good seasons, and your biggest rival, or you know for for some of it, your biggest rival go on to win you know back to back national championships. It's just kind of uh, you know a big sigh uh, for Gator Nation right now. Just kind of. You know, where's the status of this program when you see your biggest rival hosting another national championship? Yeah, well, the status of the program is that right now Florida's Kentucky because Florida's 31 and 20 over the last four years. Kentucky's 30 and 20. And you look, I think we're two and two against Kentucky in those last four years as well. So uh, maybe even one and three, I can't remember. But, um, you know, the, 
that's the reality is Florida is in the SEC East with the Kentuckys and the South Carolinas and even the Missouris in some respects and and sort of in that in that milieu of those teams. And and look, Florida has always held itself as above those teams, but we're struggling to beat those teams right now, let alone trying to take on Georgia and Alabama. And look, I mean, we're also only one year removed from Florida taking Alabama all the way down to the wire in the swamp. We're two years removed from Florida, um, you know, challenging them in the SEC championship game and beating Georgia mm-hmm. back in 2020. So it's not as though these things don't ebb and flow and ebb and flow quickly. And I think that's actually one of the things they take away way from all this stuff that's that's encouraging is that you're only two classes away and the reason you're only two classes away is that every three years george is going to have turnover because the guys that they signed are all going pro (laughs) and and if they're not going pro and they're not getting playing time they're transferring out and so every three years there's a ton of turnover and a ton of churn at georgia and alabama and clemson ohio state now look they're not getting worse but it's not like if they sign five five stars this year and five five stars next year and just do that every year. It's not like all of a sudden they have 85 five stars. Like those guys eventually rotate out and go into the NFL. So the most you're probably getting is 15, 16 five stars on the roster. So if Napier can pull together a couple of classes where he brings in three or four five stars per class, now all of a sudden instead of having the four five stars that they had on the roster this year, you're up to – nine or 10 or 11 and all of a sudden the talent gap is closing even though georgia or alabama haven't really changed what they're doing so there's an opportunity to get up into that space but you know look i mean every single analysis that you do on this is that the can't miss prospects make a huge difference and everyone else is kind of level in terms of how often they turn out to be elite. You end up somewhere in the 20 to 30% range, regardless of whether their guy's ranked 100th or guy's ranked 600th, which means that if you're arguing about a guy ranked 250 versus a guy ranked 320, it really doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. But if you're fighting with a bunch of guy with a bunch of different programs over guys ranked 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th, well, those are the guys you have to bring in to really change the the avenue of your program. And I, you know, I've been, I've been, I haven't had enough time to write the stuff that I've wanted to write over the last couple of weeks. But one of the concepts that I want to talk about is whether you're really an employee of the university or whether this is a startup. And I think in many ways, because you only have three or four years to turn these things around. The way you allocate funds can't be this, oh, I want to be here for 18 years. I'm going to I'm gonna spread out my funds. I'm going to make sure that everything is stable and good and the culture is good. And it's like, I don't know. I heard that thing that Kirby Smart was yelling there pregame the other day. <laughs> I, I, I don't suspect he's the best friend of all the guys there on the team. But I think they all hugged him at the end of the game because his ability to push them and his ability to bring them in um, helped facilitate them achieving their dreams and goals. And look, I think Florida's going to have to find a way to get into that space. But as of right now, we're Kentucky. All right, there we go. Yeah, and you know, kind of wrap that part up. You know, the back-to-back championships, Georgia's hoisting. Florida goes six and seven, both those seasons. So that's you know, that's another reason why it just stings uh, j- just a little bit more. So all right, so there, wrapping up 2022 and that season, of course, Georgia now back-to-back national champions. Hopefully, a three-peat does not. Happen. Hopefully, will. Hopefully, <laughs> uh, I don't know who's going to beat them next year. That is a uh, pretty cake schedule they got there next year. It's going to be that is uh, true. That is true. Um, 
Yeah. So yeah, we'll get in. There's like I said, the way too early rankings are, are are out. We'll take a look at that. No surprise, Georgia's number one uh, with that. But I'll kind of where Florida schedule uh, lines up with that as well. But before we get there, it's a new year, new you. So give yourself a fresh start with my bookie. Whether you bet to earn or to make games more exciting, my bookie gives you the most for your money with a redesigned deposit deposit bonus. Just use promo code Gators on a deposit of fifty dollars or more to receive a cash bonus instantly to your my bookie account. Using this bonus is simple. Bet your deposit amount just once, and you're ready to cash out. It's no strings attached with MyBookie. Bet on the NFL, all the playoff action this week, and, of course, all the state of Florida teams in the playoffs. So you might want to get a little bit of extra action in the game. I know you're excited. Your team's probably in the playoffs, but you can get some more excitement by betting at MyBookie, UFC, of course, or play for a share of big cash prizes in the weekly online blackjack tournaments so many brands and sports to choose from. You need a platform that makes it simple to bet and win, like my bookie. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere at my bookie. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Oh, well, so picking ahead uh, to 2023 a little bit. And look, we should probably throw this up again. And if you got your screen kind of small, you might need to go up full screen because the text is going to be a little bit small because 35 players leaving florida will that's the the list right here if you're watching the youtube version all the players leaving through the transfer portal going to the nfl draft or dismissed from the team but 35 players that were part of this team this year uh, no longer on this gators roster um i'll quickly go through all 35 just so you can kind of remember who's no longer a Gator right now. So Trey Dean, Amari Bernie, Jordan Pouncey, Ventrell Miller, Josh Braun, Marco Otis, Brenton Cox, Kamara Wilcoxon, Naquan Wright, Lorenzo Lingard, Trent Winamore, Justin Shorter, Osiris Torrance, Nick Elksness, Dewan Black, Griffin McDowell, Avery Helm, Jalen Kittner, Dejon Reynolds, Donovan McMillan, Corey Collier Jr., David Reese, Chief Borders, Jervon Dexter, Anthony Richardson, Yusef McGarble, Jalen Lee, Lloyd Summerall, Chris Thomas, Richard Garage, Michael Tarquin, Jordan Young, Travez Johnson, Ethan White, and the latest one being Rashad Torrance. Well, I know around the holidays, uh, there was some of the, the some of the names there, uh, and Michael Tarquin, Ethan White being the biggest surprises there. Uh, Rashad Torrance coming in late, declaring for the NFL draft. I mean, 35 faces that will not be on this Gator roster uh, and besides what is it? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Yeah. Besides 10 of them, they're transfers. And, you know, most of them we understood along the way. Most thought some of these names probably would have been transfer candidates. Last year, it took a year for them to actually hit the transfer portal. Uh, maybe one surprise to head to the NFL and Rashad Torrance. Richard Garage may be kind of questionable if he was going to go. Javon Dexter may be questionable if he was going to go. Of course, Anthony Richardson would follow that storyline. Maybe a bit of a surprise, too, uh, that, that he would go. Uh, but when you take a look at you know 25 transfers 
uh, on the way out. And it's you know, going to raise the question is, you know, how does Florida build a roster to compete in 2023? Yeah, man. I, I Look, I think the entire offensive line has just been decimated here. I mean, you got White, Tarquin, Garage, and Torrance are starters. Then you've got Braun and Mugarbill, who are backups. And you think about the – now, obviously, Torrance needed to go. Garage had an opportunity to go to the pro, go pros. But Tarquin's at USC, so another Power 5 um, program. I don't know where White's going to end up, but White was a big part. He was you know, an all-SEC player. And so, you know, I, I don't know. You played at an all-SEC level, and you decide to transfer. That, that's, that's not a great look for the, for the organization or for the staff. And um, if I was Anthony Richardson, I'm not sure I would have wanted to stay behind whatever offensive line is going to be left either, to be honest with you. It's going to be rough sledding, especially early on next year. And, you know, we're going to talk about the transfers coming in. And, you know, obviously Florida has two offensive line coaches. They're going to earn it because of this. And, um Look, it's it's a freshman and sophomore dominated 2023 because there aren't a whole lot of juniors and seniors left. And whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I, I mean, I think for the record next year, it's probably a bad thing. But, you know, we didn't get a lot of turnover under McIlwain. We didn't get a lot of turnover under Mullen early on. Those guys sort of rode their previous administration's players to, to victories. And then when those guys left, everything sort of fell apart. So, you know, hey, maybe this is the other way around, right? You take your lumps early on. You make sure the young guys get in there and play. And uh, and then you build into something better. I'm not sure how confident I am in that, given the where they are in the recruiting trail at this point. But uh, that's what they're doing. It's it, That is the strategy. The strategy is go young, get those guys experience, and they're going to have to chain together an awful lot of uh, – and they're going to have to get a lot. You know, we talk about development and people talk about development when it comes to recruiting and those sorts of things. And we're going to have to see a lot of development because you've got Eggleton, you've got Austin Barber, and that's it on the offensive line right now. And uh, you got to fill up three spots on the offensive line. That, that's rough sledding for anybody who's going to be, be there behind center. Plus, you look at the quarterback position. Now you got Jack Miller, Max Brown, and Graham Mertz in the quarterback room. A real far cry from where we were a couple years ago where we had Trask. Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson. So how, how things change awfully quickly, you know, mm-hmm. sitting there going into that LSU game in 2020 where we thought we were versus where we are now. Things have, things have turned around quite a bit, and, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely a different strategy towards roster building. They, they, I can't imagine that this exodus doesn't come without pushes from the administration in some, or from the program in some respects where, mm-hmm. you know, look, they want their guys in. And they're, you know, we're going to live and die with the guys they bring in, and we're going to see, right? There's been a lot of people um, talking about the recruiting and how Napier knows what he's doing, and we need to trust him. And hey, we're going to find out real quick. All right. So, with that, of course, the transfer is in. Uh, and, you know, we'll, we've hit on that uh, <laughs> throughout the, uh, the last few weeks. But of course, Caleb Banks, Graham Mertz, Cameron Jackson, Taraja Mitchell. And now, well, you just, Will just mentioned the offense. Well, you add one more in here, a guy who's going to be a surefire starter uh, right here through the transfer portal, uh, and that is the addition of Baylor offensive guard. Like a bazooka, took trips last week to Florida, Nebraska, Auburn, and some people thought Nebraska may have an in there. He did end up going to Baylor, uh, but when he went to Baylor, that was 2020 uh, being the first year, and that would have been the first year without Matt Rule. So, you know, somewhat of a maybe small relationship there with Matt Rule before he left Baylor, but he ends up going to um, 
the Bears anyway did, did Mazuka, but two-year starter will at guard for Baylor, you know, and Baylor had, had pretty good teams the last couple of years, not so much this year, uh, but have had some, had some success uh, in recent years. Uh, entered the portal December 18th, but six foot five, 331 pounds. Uh, got to Baylor in 2020, of course, redshirted, played nine games in 2021 for the Bears, and all but one game this past season, three years of eligibility left. Uh, so, you know, you not only do you get a now, look, if he goes and has a, a great year, he'll, he'll, he'll be on his way to the NFL as well. But at least you, know, you got a player here who has some experience, uh, has played very well uh, at the Big 12 level uh, and for Baylor. And this was a pretty surefire starter that the Gator, Gators could get you know, in, in the transfer portal. At a, at a big position in the, as you said, well, I mean, Florida just took this. Florida just got decimated, uh, kind of unexpectedly, a little bit with the offensive line. Michael Tarquin uh, in a, a battle with Austin Barber all season long. Don't think he liked that, like that too much. Uh, and in the inclination, not happy. Okay, well, you know, if if you think you want to be somewhere else, go go right ahead. That's probably some of the process there. Uh, he finds a new home at USC. And then, as I said, Ethan White uh, just not, not not a just not didn't mesh really well uh, from everything I've been hearing uh, with the staff. That doesn't mean you know the staff culture here is bad. It just uh, and this definitely doesn't mean Ethan White uh, is um, a bad guy not wanting to be here at Florida culture wise. It's just not a fit. Some guys are just not fits. No matter how bad you want them to go, and uh, or not, not no matter how bad you don't want them to go, or I guess now the success on the field <laughs> that he had this past year. Uh, I, I was kind of surprised he was labeled all SEC. Um, not trying to take anything away from him. I didn't, that, nothing stood out there for, for, for me. Uh, Florida had a good offensive line, but um, I was kind of surprised there. Ethan White uh, was listed uh, as all SEC performer. Uh, but yeah, I would have loved to have him back on the team this year, but Florida did need to go to the portal. Bazooka visits. Florida gets him. I was you know, kind of worried that Florida – it may not – I think early on Florida felt good, even before the visit, Will, from everything I could figure out. And then, you know, those visits to Auburn, Nebraska, maybe raised some questions. Uh, but in the end, primarily play left guard at, ba- uh, at Baylor. Gators get their guy through the transfer portal, who is instant plug-and-play and will be on the Gators' offensive line when they hit spring practice in the next couple months. Yeah, like you said, big-time pickup because he's got starting experience. There's not a lot of that on the offensive line outside of Barber and Egwican. I think it's also big because if you think about it, Cameron Waits, the transfer from Louisiana, is somebody who got brought in ostensibly to be a tackle, probably fits tackle from his size and profile. But he played guard when Osiris Torrance left in that bowl game. Struggled there quite a bit, but um, you know he, he was the next man up when Tor- when Torrance decided to leave, which means that Napier and company have a lot of faith in Waits, and I suspect he's probably going to shift out to tackle. Now, whether Barber goes to left tackle and Waits is right tackle or whether they take Waits out to left tackle, I don't know. But having a guard with starring experience to be able to come right in I think allows you to do that in a way that maybe you wouldn't have been able to do otherwise, where you would have had to develop, you know, a guy like uh, David Connor or a guy like Jordan Herman to be a tackle. Well, now you can get a guy who's had a couple of years or at least a year in an SEC system and has played a few snaps and has, and has actually gotten into the games. The other aspect of this is you mentioned that if he has a good year, Mazuka is going to go right to the pros. Well, that would be two straight transfer guards who've gone to the mm-hmm. pros from the offensive line. And when you think about what you could be able to sell to the transfer portal, 
you know, hey, like you're going to come here. We're going to run the ball. You're going to be, you know, you're going to get publicity in a way that offensive guards don't. I mean, geez, Osiris Torrance got a lot of in that, you know, in that bowl game and even in some of the games towards the end of the year. Like there was a lot of talk about him. Now, part of it is because he earned it because he's going to be a first round draft pick. But part of it is, is that it's unusual to have a guard who's able to really sort of impact the game in the way that Osiris Torrance was able to do for Florida and for the offensive line. And so if you're a guy like Mazuka and you can do the same thing, well, you can take the same path, which then hopefully enables you to start selling that not just to the guys who can transfer in for a year, but start selling that to the elite guards who are coming in as well. And part of that may be why Roderick Kearney decided to flip from Florida State. You know, he's sort of the the true freshman that you look at coming in on that offensive line where you expect to get immediate impact. And again, if you can shift weights out to tackle, well, now mm-hmm. all of a sudden you've got a spot for Kearney or Nijay Harris, sort of the two you know, the two highly rated guys who profile as guards, those guys maybe get an opportunity to compete for that spot rather than you relying on them, on each of them to, to man those spots. So look, I mean, obviously you get a guy with, with starts at the power five level at the guard position, especially with as many guys who've left the offensive line, it's important, but it also allows Napier. I mean, coming into this year, I think he said he was comfortable with eight or nine guys on the offensive line. I'm, I mean, I got two. <laughs> maybe three that he'd be comfortable with right now going into spring practice. So there's a lot of work to be done to make sure that he can at least say he's got six or seven that he's comfortable with, because we know that over the course of an SEC season, you're going to have an injury or two. You're going to need to bring somebody in. That's part of the reason why Barber got to play is because yep. Tarquin went down with an injury and the Barber played pretty well. So, Hey, are they going to be able to prepare all these other guys to be able to do that? You're going to have to, I don't know that you necessarily need a, need a two deep, but you're going to need two or three, at least reserve offensive linemen you feel comfortable with. And those guys are going to be awfully, awfully young in 2023. Yeah. You don't need two deep unless you get injuries. And like, as we said, we did see it, you know, uh, Osiris missed the LSU game. Uh, and you know, what do you made a difference in that game? Uh, maybe probably not, but, uh, still missed that game there for, for Florida did have issues running the ball, uh, in, in that game. And as you mentioned there, uh, Tarquin, uh, going down and Austin Barber getting his chance and really, really shining, uh, with that chance. So, yeah. Well, I mean, if we look at it in, uh, Mazuka primarily played left guard at Baylor run blocking grade of 78.5 from, uh, pro football focus. That was ninth among power five guards. If you kind of want to go by pro football focus there, I know, <laughs> Take it or leave it there with pro football focus there with some of you. But there's one metric if you want to look at it right there. And one reason he was highly regarded. uh, Also had 14 big-time blocks, which was tied for second among all guards. I'd have to go look up that. If he's second among all guards with 14 big-time blocks, I want to go and look up pro football focus and see where Osiris Torrance was with that. Was he... <laughs> if Mazuka was was number two, was Osiris Torrance number one by any chance? I'll have to see if we can uh, we'll see if we can go find that one, Will. Uh, but you know, going back, you know, he was a highly regarded transfer. Um, Nebraska, you know, Matt Rolls in there, Auburn in the mix too. But going back to the class of 2020, three star recruit, 832 overall, uh, and the number 54 interior offensive lineman uh, was Mazuka. So, Will, as you as you kind of mentioned, if you're looking at spring practice, yeah, I, I do think you say you feel good about three of them right now. As far as, you know, starters, uh, Kingsley did take a step back, I thought, at, at, at center. You know, Florida offensive line, good as a whole. Uh, but I did think, you know, singly, especially with some of the penalties, too, later in the year with Kingsley uh, guacan kind of, you know, he, he's had that center role. Uh, can maybe somebody maybe push him? But I think you, you feel good about your center going into spring. Uh, now Mazuka there at left guard. Austin Barber, uh, probably your left tackle there. 
does Cam Waits? I mean, there, there, there's your three right there. But does Cam Waits maybe get that start at right tackle? I've heard some good things about Jake Slaughter. The, the, the staff likes what they have in, the, in another young interior offensive lineman there with Jake Slaughter. Uh, so maybe, maybe does he break through? Uh, Richard Leonard, I thought, looked pretty good in, in the limited time that he got this past year as well. So somebody that can fit in um, perhaps at the, at the right guard spot. Uh, opposite of there of uh, of Mazuka. So, you know, if I had to say spring practice rolls around right now, Barber left, Mazuka, you know, uh, Barber left tackle, Mazuka left guard, Kingsley at center, maybe Richard Leonard at right guard and at right tackle, uh, Cam Waits. But yeah, there's a lot of questions as far as experience goes, Will, for that right side of the offensive line if it shakes out that way. Yeah. I mean, look. If that's how it turns out, you and I are going to walk into the season going, we don't know. <laughs> like, like, we don't know whether this is going to hold up. We don't know whether Florida is still going to be top five in, in yards per rush. We don't know whether right, we feel great about the running backs, but man, you know, that how much, and look, this goes for almost every running back out there, but you know, how much were they relying on, a, uh, on an offensive line? Because I don't want to take too much away from that bowl game, but you know the one time that we did see with Osiris Torrance, you know, besides the LSU game too, where I, I went back and you know they did struggle outside of a couple big runs running the ball versus LSU with Osiris Torrance not on the field. But our one look at you know a kind of a offensive line without Osiris Torrance was not too pretty in that bowl game. Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting. When when Dan Mullen got let go, there were all the obligatory articles talking about how terrible the program was because everything gets held until <laughs> until until the head man goes. But actually, there were a couple articles when Grantham and Hevesy got fired that talked about it. There was one specific quote from inside the program calling it like the most toxic environment they'd ever been a part of. And so Hevesy and Grantham are the ones who are who who go, and then that comment comes out. Well, that means that they're the one sort of the ringleaders of those toxic environments. And when you think about that list that you put up there, a lot of the guys are people who would have been reporting either directly to John Havasey or directly to Ty Grantham. And so I don't think it's a coincidence that, that many of those guys are the ones who've been pushed out. Look, I'm not saying that about any individual player. I'm just saying holistically, when you talk about, you know, well, this guy didn't get along with, with, you know, it wasn't a good fit between the staff and this coach. Well, you know, is that because it was a good fit with the previous staff? And obviously we saw that that wasn't necessarily winning, winning SEC championships either. So, look, I, I think I think there are probably some surprises in terms of some of the guys who transferred. But I think in many cases you'd rather have that than have guys who are sort of on the fence heading into next year. And so, you know, at this point, for the most part, these are going to be guys who are bought into what Napier and staff want to do. And we're going to get to see whether he's able to whether he's able to cobble together the type of offensive line that he was able to do at Louisiana, or whether the evaluation or the two coaches or whatever ends up getting us to that point. You know, look, I don't think it's going to be good enough to win the SEC. I think that's an unrealistic expectation. I don't know whether it's good enough to be better than six and seven. We'll see. But I, I think um, you know it, it's one of those things where with his players, I'm going to be really interested to see. And same thing with Patrick Tony on his side with his players, I'm going to be interested to see whether or not the progress that we hope to be seeing this year, particularly on the defensive side of the ball, is actually realized or whether it becomes another year where we're just sort of, it is what it is and we suffer for the entire year. And in that case, I think you start to get really, really concerned. Whereas if you see progress throughout the course of the year, it might be a bad offensive line when it goes out to, when, when they go out to Utah. 
The question is, how are they once you get to Florida State at the end of the year? And that's kind of, honestly, that's, you know, we're going to talk about 2023, but that was sort of what I talked to you about was, you know, a six and six season with Graham Mertz as the quarterback is very different than a six and six season with Max Brown or Jaden Rashad at quarterback. And I think sort of the same thing applies when we talk about any of these units, an offensive line that struggles against Utah and maybe Kentucky early on, but then dominates against LSU and Florida State late in the year feels different than an offensive line that's just sort of meh and is meh the entire year long. So I think you know progress is going to be the name of the game in 2023 and seeing how those guys develop because there's so much youth on both sides of the ball. Yeah, with Mazuka coming in, Will, I think you got to look at the transfer portal now one more time. Caleb Banks, Graham Mertz, Cameron Jackson to Roger Mitchell – uh, Graham Mertz, of course, with his experience at Wisconsin, shoe in uh, probably to, to to start in the spring as the as a starting quarterback for the Gators. Cameron Jackson will definitely be a starter right there in the middle of that defensive line. So right here with you know you, you, your third transfer now, Mazuka comes in probably your third starter uh, coming along. Three out of the you know three out of the six now. Uh, half of them, you know, being starters, I think we'll, we'll wait to see what Taraja Mitchell can do. Uh, maybe uh, might pencil him in as a starter as well, uh, right there with, with Jamar James, probably. Uh, Derek Wingo uh, coming off of surgery, don't know his availability for spring, but even if he's 100% healthy, uh, Taraja Mitchell in his 2021 season at Ohio State before uh, it kind of got derailed late in 21. But, you know, we know Florida's issues at at, at, at linebacker, kind of like the issues we're talking about for Florida offensive line right now. Uh, Caleb Banks, as I said, you know, not a lot of playing time there for Louisville, but I know, you know, just from asking around, the staff loves his potential with his kind of body transformation of being able to put some weight on uh, and be that over 300-pound defensive lineman there to, to help anchor the middle. Uh, but Cameron Jackson, Graham Mertz, uh, and now for Mazuka, for sure, sure, guys that are going to be uh, starting for the Gators next year through this transfer portal. So, you know, there, there's a couple ways, uh, I think, you know, to look at this transfer portal. Do you get some guys that you can still come in and get developed, or do you go and get uh, the guys that are instant contributors, instant big impact? Uh, and right now, none of these guys, you know, besides Mitchell, have to be one and done. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously that's a good thing, right? Because you're plugging, you're plugging holes that are more than just one year. I mean, you start looking at the overall roster, and it's so it's tilted so heavily towards freshmen, redshirt freshmen, and sophomores that you really do need some experience in the locker room. And so, a guy like Mitchell isn't going to freak out when the opposition scores a touchdown, isn't going to immediately hang his head. He's been sitting there in Columbus watching a team that quite honestly has elite talent all over the place. So he's not going to be surprised by SEC speed. I think, uh, you know, I, I, so I think it's all going to depend on your expectations, right? Like these guys are going to start. They're going to get a lot of playing time. It's great that they're going to have multiple years, but you know, really how we evaluate them is going to depend on expectations. I'm not expecting any of the transfers to be stars. I think Napier's guys have the high school recruits that Napier brings in have to turn into stars. And then you supplement them with the guys in the portal who are solid starters. If you're expecting the guys in the portal to come in and be stars, I think you're going to be disappointed. And so it's a question of setting expectations. And, hey, maybe Taraja Mitchell turns into a star at linebacker, but I think it's probably even more likely that a guy like Jaden Robinson comes in, you know, the four-star recruit out of, out of South Carolina, comes in and becomes a star at the linebacker position. In fact, I think they need that to happen based on, based mm-hmm. on the numbers that they have at the linebacker position. But, you know, 
if you asked me which one of those guys Florida would rather have be a star and which one kind of needs to be to really move that room forward, I'd say it's Robinson. So look, I think Mitchell and Mazuka and Mertz and Banks and and Jackson and all those guys will probably be very solid contributors and many of them starters. But if your expectations are they're going to be stars, I think you're going to be disappointed. And so it's a question of setting expectations appropriately, given the guys who are coming in through the transfer portal. All right, so there we go. Look, we got plenty of time. We do it every year, too. Will, I know we'll get Nick Newton on, your co-host there, for reading reaction and, and stand up and holler. And I think last year we went through every position group, <laughs> what we thought about every position group. Uh, we've seemed to do that the last couple of years. Where should we, we're kind of waiting for the transfer portal to, to calm down uh, a bit. Hopefully Florida's not done. Uh, and look, I think we still got to keep an eye on Ricky Pearsall and, and his decision. I know earlier on in the process he was leaning – towards coming back to Florida. I think that's now even more in question than, than it was back then. So one more at least to, to keep an eye on uh, for Florida to lose to the transfer. or She wouldn't be transfer portal, uh, maybe declaring for the NFL uh, there. So it's kind of a, a departure there maybe from, from Ricky Pearsall. And it's, that's just kind of one. We know he posted his NFL combine invite. And I'm not sure that's any indication or not. Uh, but that's just still one to keep an eye on that. Um, from what I'm hearing, still questioning uh, whether he's – going to come back to the University of Florida uh, next year or not. And then, as I said, we'll still keep an eye out for the transfer portal this week uh, for the Gators of new guys coming in. So, Will, well, let's turn the page for the rankings for 2023. And, yeah, it's not going to be good because you're not going to find Florida anywhere near. He's <laughs> way too early uh, top 25 rankings, and you should not. Uh, but – we'll just go through ESPN here. Most of them kind of the same uh, here 2023, way too early, top 25, ESPN, March Slayball put this one together. And Georgia, number one, Ohio State, two, Michigan, three. And we'll look at their number four, Florida State, after their big turnaround season this year after Mike Norvell. All those guys coming, most of those guys coming back, uh, hot and heavy in the transfer portal for instant impact guys for, for their team. Um, getting that number four designation right there. Alabama, number five, Penn State, six. USC 7, LSU 8, number 9, Oregon, Tennessee at 10. Washington comes in at 11, TCU 12, Utah 13. So, look, of course, that cuts it off about halfway right there. But looking at that left column, Will, 1 through 13, you can tell I have them, if you're watching on YouTube, italicized. Florida plays, number 1, Georgia. Florida plays, number four, Florida State. Florida plays, number eight, LSU. Number 10, Tennessee. Number 13, Utah. Top 13 teams there, Will. And Florida faces one, two, three, four, five of them. Yeah, I, I mean, look, I, I think going into the year, we're going to say this is a difficult schedule. I think Tennessee is going to take a step back. I think 10 is aggressive, considering that Hendon Hooker isn't going to be there anymore. Um, I think you know Utah got good news that Cam Rising's coming back. I think today, and, so and, and Brent Keithy, the the tight end as well. He was injured um, a few games after the Florida game, but he's coming back as well. Yeah, well, we couldn't guard him anyway, so put it this way: nobody could guard him. Like as I said, you know, going back to that game, hey, look, Mari Bernie might struggle there, but every linebacker in the country is going to struggle in that. So it, it played out that way. <laughs> yeah, I'm curious to see whether Jaden Daniels can replicate what he did last year, or, or you know, exactly what LSU is going to do there at quarterback. I think FSU is also overranked. If you go and you look at their their 
schedule. It's just littered with one score victories. Um, they, they obviously pushed down the stretch, but it kind of reminds me of that 2018 Florida team. And obviously in 2019, the Florida team was good. Um, and maybe that's what happens, right? As Jordan Travis is able to sort of lift all boats, but they're eventually going to come back to the pack too. But look, there's no doubt. I mean, Florida's going to play Kentucky and Kentucky is going to be rated higher than Florida. Um, you know, at least in preseason polls, if you were to if you were to rank everybody out there, and you know, maybe even South Carolina is is going to be ranked up there. So I don't I don't think there's going to be anything that comes easy for Florida. But yeah, certainly um, compared to what Georgia's schedule is going to be next year, this is uh, a little bit more difficult for the Gators. Yep. Uh, so Utah at thirteen. Let's jump back into it right now. Notre Dame fourteen, Clemson fifteen, Texas sixteen. Uh, Florida's bowl opponent, Oregon State, comes in at 17 in ESPN's way too early top 25. Kansas State at 18, Tulane 19, Ole Miss, another SEC team at 20, North Carolina 21, Texas San Antonio 22, Texas Tech 23, James Madison 24, Iowa 25. Well, you look at it and say it's said to something else. Tulane 19, Texas San Antonio 22. James Madison, twenty four. <laughs> you know, to programs that uh, you don't see there all too often, uh, and we're sitting there talking about those teams. While you know, we're sitting here talking about uh, a Florida team that doesn't have as much expectations for twenty twenty three. Come on, man, that's just Slayball putting in three teams <laughs> that might end up doing well. So I mean, at the end late, of the year, too, too late. Can, I get too late. I absolutely get. But <laughs> but that way, at the end of the year, he can go see. I had them in my original <laughs> top twenty five. Like neither, like I. If you gave me odds on whether all three would like on whether one of the three will end up in the top 25 or all three will end up out, I will take all three are going to end up out. Um, same thing. You look at like TCU at 12. Uh, there's a lot of turnover there. And and Duggan really, really uh, pulled them out of a bunch of jams and they had a bunch of one score victories, too. I'm going to expect them to go in the opposite direction. Oregon's interesting because of the way they've recruited and because of the step forward that Bo Nix took. And now he's coming back. That's sort of an interesting one there. Uh, but look, man, it's going to come down to the same thing it does every year. It's going to be Georgia, Ohio State, Alabama and USC probably now that uh, Lincoln Riley's there. Um, those are going to be the teams you're going to be looking at. And um, I'm going to guess Michigan and FSU and, and Penn State are going to take steps back. And, you know, the SEC will rise again. That'll be, that'll be the way it's going to be, just like it has been for like 14 of the last 20 years. Well, man, I mean, look at that top four. If that's the college football playoff ne- for next year, I might throw a remote in my TV. <laughs> I mean, Georgia and FSU, if they make the playoff, I mean, come on, our two biggest rivals in the playoff. I mean, look, we almost had it with Tennessee this year. Uh, things, you know, broke broke a certain way. Uh, but then, I mean, Ohio State and Michigan rematch, you know, two, two Big Ten teams. I mean, look, look, most of the time, the top four, of course, in all these preseason polls don't usually work out this way. But just saying, just, just taking this one, this is mostly for fun. We're having a little bit of fun here. But if it ends up this four right here, I mean – do I, do I really want to watch that? <laughs> well, I mean, it, it sort of depends. At that point, the 65-7 to 7 beating that Georgia put on TCU would be welcome if it was to Florida. I mean, if you're going to have those two play each other, I don't want it to be like a 34-31 to 31 burn burner where everybody comes out of it with more respect for each program. Like, I want one of them to absolutely demolish the other one. But, uh, you know, I don't think we have to worry about it, buddy. I, I That's an awful lot of hype for Florida State given their talent level compared to some of the people they're going to have to play this year. Now, look, I mean, Yui Agalele is gone from Clemson, but I think that's actually an upgrade. 
And uh, I suspect that there's going to be a couple of people who come up and bite FSU. They were four and two in one score games. You play six one score games and you're not making it to a playoff. And the fact that they've they managed to go four and two rather than three and three or two and four, sometimes those those go the other direction. And look, I mean, Florida was not a good team by the time they played Florida State. And that still turned into a one-score game, and and Florida had an opportunity to potentially tie the game at the end, or maybe even win it with as bad as Florida's defense was. So, um, and, then look, they go, uh, and then they go on a struggle versus a very similar Oklahoma team. Yeah, I mean, so if you showed if you showed me all four of those teams and said who's most likely to be in that top four, Florida State is the one who's least likely to be in that top four. Oh, because, for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, again, people are projecting that Jordan Travis is going to take another step forward. Quarterbacks don't take two steps forward. They just don't. And so you can even see that with Georgia this year. Stetson Bennett actually took a step back in terms of his efficiency. Now, part of it was they used him more, but his efficiency. And look, it was good enough because of who he's surrounded with. But Florida State doesn't have that kind of firepower. So um, I think you'll be safe that you won't have to see Georgia play FSU. Now, you might see that number five team creep up into the number yeah. four. And that <laughs> might be the final four. And then uh, and then we still all are going to have to light ourselves on fire. But uh yeah, whatever. It's college football these days, man. You got look, I said at the beginning, Florida has the blueprint. You got to decide are you going to invest and are you going to push forward in order to enact that blueprint? If you're not, you're going to pop into the top 25, maybe even the top 10 every once in a while. Um, but until you decide you're going to make that commitment, you're not going to be in that top four. And it's depressing that Florida's not even in the top 25. I'd love to see Florida in the top four, top five, top six of these preseason polls, but they're just a long way from that right now. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and we'll take a look at it. You know, all those rivals uh, are ranked, you know, Georgia, FSU, LSU, Tennessee, all in the top 10 uh, right there. And that leads us to the schedule uh, right here for the Gators. And, Will, um, looking at the schedule, of course, open up the road, on the road versus Utah. We just mentioned them, Cam Rising back, Brent Keithy back uh, there for that Utah offense. McNeese uh, State, the second game of the season. So you don't have that big time double header that you had last year where you, you you open up with Utah and Kentucky and both those games at home, but you don't have them back to back this time. After that road trip to Utah, you do return home three straight home games, McNeese State, Tennessee, Charlotte, you know, so a little bit of reprieve there that you don't have two tough games back to back there for there for the Gators. So, I mean, <laughs> if you're looking ahead and making some prognostications, I think a lot of people will probably put Florida two and two after those first four and then, well, there's a streak there. Kentucky, Vanderbilt, South Carolina. That's where Florida's got to make their move. And no matter what happens those first four games, you know, Florida's got to make their move heading into the Georgia game with the three games before that. The Kentucky, the Vanderbilt, South Carolina games. Um, you know, last year, Kentucky, we know that's the storyline of that series recently. It's, it's, it's one score affairs. Game could go either way. Vanderbilt finally gets one over Florida, but, you know, for – most of the time, Florida should be winning that game, and Florida destroyed South Carolina last year. So three games in a row going into that Georgia game where if Florida's going to make their move, if Florida's going to make some positive momentum in the 2023 football season, no matter what happens versus Utah, no matter what happens versus Tennessee, we, we and no matter what happened with Florida being at 6-7 and seven this past year, Kentucky wasn't very good. Vanderbilt wasn't very good. Uh, Carolina, of course, after Florida made, made a run, uh, but we know that those are three winnable games right there that Florida, Florida has to make a move going into that Georgia game with. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, 
Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Yeah, I mean, if you look at that schedule, a normal Florida team, we'd say 6-1 and one is absolutely possible with yeah. that start. Yeah. And given given the way Florida's owned Tennessee over the years, you'd really say that's the expectation is that Florida's going to be 6-1 and one with the way that sets up. Um now, I don't think Florida will be six and one <laughs> coming out of it, but that's a possibility. It's also possible they could be, you know, two and five <laughs> going into that particular space. And if they're two and five heading into that Georgia game, whoo boy, mm. like is, is the noise going to be loud? But, uh, you know, I, I think I, you, you showed the teams that they're going to have to play that are highly ranked. But even with that, I'd still look at the schedule and say it's manageable given what my expectations are right. for the program. I mean, I don't I think you probably have to go better than six and six, but I mean, are we really thinking they're gonna be nine and three? I don't think any of us are picking them to go nine and three. And so my expectations are somewhere in that seven to five, eight and four range. And I think that's absolutely doable with the schedule. I mean look, Vanderbilt has to be a win. I don't care what happened last year. Vanderbilt right. has to be penciled in as a win. Missouri has to be penciled in as a win. Um you know Charlotte has to be like the two cupcakes <laughs> have to be penciled as win. So you, you got at least four, right? Now the question is out of the remaining eight, can you get another two or three? And you should be able to against Arkansas, maybe even against Florida State. Certainly, maybe you play better against Kentucky than you have in the past, South Carolina. So I think there's an opportunity here. I, I don't think it's going to be an easy road. I think there's going to be some ups and downs. And I think a lot of that's going to depend on what happens at the quarterback position. But um, this isn't a schedule that I look at and go for a typical Florida team with typical talent and, you know, sort of not coming off of the downer that we had going heading into the end of the season, I'd say, yeah, eight and four, that's easy. Right. But, uh, but given what we've seen so far, I'm not, I'm not uh, assuming anything. Yep. So one more time, Utah, McNeese state, Tennessee, Charlotte, and then Kentucky, Vanderbilt, South Carolina, then Georgia after Georgia on uh, hosting Arkansas, the LSU game late in the year this year, uh, November 11th, Missouri, and then Florida State. So there you go. That's your look at the Gators' schedule this year. McNeese State, Tennessee, Charlotte, Vanderbilt, Arkansas, Florida State, all the home games this year for the Gators. So uh, toughest road game, Will. Um, looking at it, could be could be the season opener versus Utah or the, or the road trip to LSU. But there's your you know looking at your two toughest road trips of the year. But I mean, look, yes, you're supposed to be able to take advantage of a home field advantage in the swamp, but hasn't hasn't been much of a home field advantage the last couple of years for the Gators. Well, I mean, the last time probably, you know, that, that Utah season opener there last year. I'm, I mean, the reality is is that when when Mullen took over, so the McElwain or I'm sorry, the Muschamp era came out and he went what seven and six, but they had the two interceptions that were returned for touchdowns and against Iowa, I think it was, and then um, you know, so he ends up seven and six, and everybody kind of came off with a good feeling in their mouth coming out of that first season. At least, hey, we're headed in the right direction. All of a sudden, that next year, I think they took an unexpected step forward there in 2012 and almost played for the national championship and wound up in the Sugar Bowl against Louisville, and then things fell apart. 
Same thing sort of happened with McIlwain. Makes the SEC championship game a couple years in a row right when he starts, and then things fall apart. Mullen, 10-3, and three, then 11-2, and two, then that 2020 season where we almost got there, and then all of a sudden things fall apart. So my hope here in all of this stuff is that um, you know, I do agree with the with the statement that you've got to give these guys patience to build what they're building, and we have to see what they're building. I may disagree with the way they're building it, or I may be concerned about the way they're building it, but you got to give them the patience to do that. And so the question, it's it's what I opened up with, which is saying, you know, you have to show me progress from that Utah game to the Tennessee game to the Kentucky game to the Georgia game to the LSU game to the Florida State game. If it was something by the time- we thought we were getting. You know, with the wins over A and M and South Carolina, only for it to fall flat on their face. Yeah, and by the time you get to LSU, Missouri, and Florida State, if we're getting all sorts of penalties and the defense can't stop anybody, and all the things that sort of again left the bitter taste in our mouth this year, well, then there's going to be some real explaining to do when, when that happens. But if things are progressing, I think you can deal. I think you're going to have to. I think your expectations have to be that there are going to be bumps in the road in this 2023 schedule. The question is, are those bumps going to be Vanderbilt (laughs) or are those bumps going to be Georgia? And if the bumps are Georgia and LSU, I think you can live with it. If the bumps are Vanderbilt, well, now we got bigger problems. So um, we'll see. I'm not incredibly confident that we're going to end up with, you know, um, with a season that we, that we walk out of saying, Oh, wow. That that was one to remember. Um, but there's an opportunity and, and, you know, it's like I say every year, you only get 13 of these and, you know, next year, given the schedule and the youth, you might only get 12. So you got to enjoy it while you've, uh, while, while you got the opportunity. Cause to me, at least Gator football is always more than just, did you win a national championship? It's, it's building to that point and it's enjoying the process of building to that point. And, uh, you know, I, I think one of the things, you know, you and I both have a couple of couple of Georgia fans in our lives you probably have way more than I do and the ones who are who are at least reflective about their program and so you could talk to them last night were like the people I talked to at least were appreciative of the journey and appreciative of the down years and the build and all that sort of stuff and so we're getting a little bit of that right now and the worm's going to turn eventually and Florida's going to be back on top but um, it's a lo- it, it feels like you're in the darkness or in the wilderness while it's yeah. happening. So hopefully we don't feel like we're in the wilderness against Vanderbilt next year. That's all I have to say. Yeah, <laughs> that was true. Can't, can't have that one as a loss again there and, and speak about progress here uh, for, for, for this program moving forward under Billy Napier. So, yeah, I mean, still tough. But manageable as a schedule, as I said, you kind of, did you have some breaks there along the way? The back-to-back games. I mean, your toughest back-to-back games are oh, what Georgia, Arkansas, maybe or South Carolina, Georgia. I mean, it's, it's Georgia is in it, so it's either before Georgia with South Carolina in Georgia, or either Georgia, Arkansas uh, is your toughest back-to-back games there for, for for the season for the Gators. So manageable in that way, uh, where you might. <laughs> Catch quite a, I mean, with a six and seven team, I really do have to put in air quotes somewhat breather of a game, but uh, uh, for, for, for the Gators, as far as two really tough teams back to back, don't really, really have it on the schedule this year. As far as, um, I mean, if you go by the, the rankings that we just posted up, Florida won't, will not face two ranked teams back to back. South Carolina was not ranked in that top 25. Uh, Arkansas was not ranked in that top 25 on the, you know, that with Georgia sandwiched in between those two teams. Uh, LSU, is followed by uh, Missouri. So, yeah, no really – if you go by that top 25, we put up no back-to-back ranked opponents uh, there for the Gators. 
Yeah, well, I think that's so, sort of what I was talking about when I said yeah. I looked at the schedule and didn't think it was like massively difficult. There's no, I mean, when when we came into this year, we looked at that Georgia A and M. I mean, what yeah. was it? L, and and L, it was LSU, Georgia, and A and M, and said, "Woo!" And and and, the, and Utah, Kentucky, to kick the season off. Yeah, and said, "Well, and Utah, Kentucky, then a cupcake, and then Tennessee, right?" Yeah. So, um, we looked at that and said, "Wow, that could be really rough for Napier's first year." And then he navigated most of that. <laughs> And then fell apart at the end. Um, so uh, you know, we'll see. Maybe, maybe he'll, uh, maybe he'll surprise us. And I think that's that's the hope, right? Is that all the discipline, all the talk about family and relationships and process and all that sort of stuff starts to starts to show next year. And yeah. and you know, again, I, I think the last few games leave a bitter taste in everybody's mouth. But that doesn't mean that the season was a waste, and that doesn't mean that they weren't building towards something. It just means we didn't see the foundation being built. And the fact that they've got all these young guys and that they're now Napier guys, right, they've decided to stay, um, means that that foundation is sitting there. And they still need a whole lot of talent to go on top of that foundation in order to compete with the Georgias and the LSUs of the world on a consistent basis. But look, the only team on that schedule that scares me is Georgia. Everybody else, I think, is beatable. Yeah. Now that doesn't mean that Florida will beat them, but everyone else on that schedule is beatable. And so, you know, is it possible for them to go 10 and one or, or 10 and two or, or nine and three? Absolutely. It is. But I think if you were looking at sort of the, the distribution of outcomes, <laughs> it's more towards <laughs> the six and six than it is towards the 10 and two, at least right now. And and that's, that's, that's disappointing going into the off season, but it, it's where we are and we're not going to, not going to pump sunshine about it. No, exactly. I mean, this 2023 season, look, we're not, I'm not going to try and talk myself into a 9-10 win Gator team. You know, just as we preview this team you know, coming up this this offseason, a lot of the conversation is probably not going to be pretty. Uh, but, hey, look, that's what we've always built Gators Breakdown on. You know, not every – you guys know, you've been around long enough. Not every season we've had has been, you know, 10, 11 win seasons here for the Gators. We've been through some rough times here on Gators Breakdown, and we've been truthful uh, with, with our feelings ever since with the ups and the downs. So yeah, we'll we'll see. We'll, we'll call it like we see it. We're not saying we're right. We're not saying we're wrong. But we'll go. We're, will and I will call it like we see it. And look, 2023 does not look too promising. But you know, we'll we'll point out what we like about this team, what we don't like about this team. If there is a path. Uh, to exceeding expectations for the skater team in 2023. But we can be honest with ourselves right now. It does not look like to be a great successful season for the Gators. Uh, who are we kidding, buddy? I'm going to talk myself into a win over Utah by the time the season actually starts. Like, um, I don't know why. I don't know how. I got to find, you know, people always accuse me. Like, people who don't like my conclusions always accuse me of like finding stats to fit a narrative. But uh, this might be one example where just because I need some hope, I might have to go searching around for some stuff. Be like, Cam Rising in night games at home in the month of September has, <laughs> it'll be like those little big league stats. <laughs> Oh, there we go. That's a good one. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, I, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, it as, as Will said, get 12, 13 games a year, uh, and it, it is special. And 2022 season just ended. Um, but hey, look, I, I want nothing more than what 12, 13, 14, 15 games a season. Uh, that that's that's the ultimate goal. We're a little while away from that, so <laughs> hopefully, you guys will follow uh, the, the process for years to come. Uh, with the Gators and, and us here on Gators Breakdown, and hopefully Florida's ho- hosting that golden trophy. Look, it'd probably be when the 12-team playoff <laughs> gets there. You know, last year, next year will be the last year of the uh, 14 playoff uh, there. So um, maybe 
maybe fortune's on the way just because of a opening of a 12 team playoff there, but that is it. That's it. Will 2022 season is over with and uh, we'll concentrate on 2023. The, the, the next, you know, what, six, seven months here on Gators breakdown. Yeah, man. We say it every year and you know, I, I mentioned it earlier, but you only get 13, hopefully 15 of these. Um, so you have to enjoy it. And you know, it's one more season in the books It's five years now for you and I. So, uh, you know, actually, it's, yeah, five years, five seasons now for you and I that we've been doing this. And I'm privileged to be able to do this, that people actually care about what what I say and, uh, you know, that I've had this forum to talk about it. So it, it's awesome to watch this, the community that you've built, the community that 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 we've built and and sort of the interface that we have with all these people. And look, I mean, some people are more cynical. Some people are more, uh, more rah-rah cheerleaders. And that's part of what makes it great, right? Is if it was just cynics all the time, we'd be miserable. And if it was just rah-rah sunshine pumpers, we'd be, we'd realize that they, they don't know what they're talking about either, given the results we've gotten over the last few years. But that, that interaction is what makes it special. And, and the Florida fan base more than anything, I think is, um, there, there's an awful lot of uh, there's an awful lot of passion within that fan base. I think more than than most fan bases that are out there. Certainly in college football, that's what makes it special. So I'm just really thankful to be able to do this and to be able to give my opinion and uh, you know for everybody participating over the last five years now. Yep, it's ebbs and flows. That's how I can say. It. Hey, if it's positive, it's positive, and I'll talk about it. If it's negative, it's negative. I'll talk about it. Not going to shy away uh, there, but. Yeah, that's just how it is. Especially the way we follow it, Will. We follow it so close, you know, day in and day out. There's going to be ups. There's going to be downs. You know, if you check in every great once in a while, you can be positive because you can take the last few months or last few weeks or so and and cherry pick uh, the the positive and and have a positive outlook. But if you follow it like we do and follow it like you guys do, it's, you know, there's ebbs and flows to this. So, hey, look, I hope when 2023 rolls around where – get that big win versus Utah to kick off the season. And then it's not like 2022 and it's actually a big <laughs> building block for the rest of the season. Uh, but Hey, it won't, it won't uh, change anything that we'll be cheering for that team in orange and blue when they roll out on the field. That, 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 that will never change no matter, you know, the, the analytical and analyst side of what we do. Will hey, look, we just, uh, as I said, you know, it, I'm trying, maybe trying to set some expectations for the coming months here, uh, here, right here on Gators breakdown, but Hey, we're, we're always going to have fun with it, no matter if it's uh, glass half full, glass half empty. Yeah, absolutely, right? I mean, the, the the analytics are fun, but they don't tell the whole story. There's a reason they go out and feel and play the games. And, uh, you know, I, I think I said this with Mullen, is it was an interesting experiment. I didn't think it was going to work, but I was interested in, in the experiment to see whether it was going to work and if he could and prove we me still, wrong. And we had a lot of fun in, in a lot of those years. Absolutely. I mean, you know, it, it's almost like we're throwing a funeral here, which I'm like, nah, look, I mean, <laughs> Napier is going to improve the team. Whether he improves it in 2023, I think, is an open question. And, right. And I think there are obviously gaping holes on the, on the roster and gaping questions on the roster that need to be answered. But he's going to improve the team. And so the question is, the question I have is not, is he going to improve them? Like, I don't think this is a case of like Bill Callahan taking over for Polini where everything just falls apart. The question I have is how much can he improve it? And can he improve it to the standard that Florida fans demand? And, you know, as of right now, the early returns are, we might have some issues getting to that standard, but that doesn't mean we're not going to come in here chirping when we beat Florida state or chirping when we beat LSU or chirping when we beat Tennessee. Cause I mean, look, I mean, 
for all the success Tennessee had last year, it's the first time they've had success in like three decades. So again, if, if you ask me which program would I rather be, Florida or Tennessee, Florida or Florida State, Florida or Kentucky, I'd want to be Florida given where they are. And so there's a lot of reasons for optimism. There's just not a lot of reasons for optimism given the game yesterday. <laughs> and so when, yeah. you, when, you, when you put those things next to each other, I get why people would be pessimistic and why people would be upset. But I think there's plenty of opportunities to, to, to have some really good discussions about what's going on in the program. We're going to be doing that. All right. There you go. Uh, Will, anything coming up? Read reaction as this season comes, comes to a close. I keep trying to write about Graham Mertz, but I really am getting tired of watching Wisconsin film. So that that hopefully is going to be coming up because that offense is just abominable. Um, yeah, same same here. You know, some, some that I'm just trying to right now. There's just so much news with transfer portal recruiting. You're in and out there. You know, we 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 have time as we just said. There's months before Florida plays a game. So as you said, you're looking at Graham Mertz, and uh, I got that on my calendar coming up as well. So. We're all looking at. And then I mentioned, I actually want to, I, I do have an article that's going to be coming up this week. I'm about halfway done with it where I'm talking about um, how to build a program and really not even how to build it, but how to think about a program and thinking about it just sort of through the structure of startup companies versus established companies. And, and what do you do differently in each of those and saying, Hey, is there a way to take thinking from the business world and apply it to a multi, to what these are, right? These are multi-billion dollar businesses or at least multi-million dollar businesses that are being run by these coaches and uh, you know, they're CEOs of these things. And so do that, should they change their thinking depending upon where the program is? That's, that's sort of the, the crux of it. So that'll be something hopefully interesting is coming out in the next week or so. All right. Will miles. You can find him on Twitter at will miles SEC and his site readingreaction.com on YouTube at reading reaction. I'm the host of Gators breakdown right here. David waters. You can find me on Twitter at Gator Dave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thank you for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.